The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report Finance presenter on the ABC News and the columnist for the New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, senior Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are the, the Money, Money Cafe. cafe. Um, good to be back in the cafe. It is. It's been a while. It has been a while and it's good to see you, James. Um, uh, now, uh, before we go too much further, you've had a, a very interesting piece about inflation and Taylor Swift. Yes, yes. So, so you need to explain, firstly, what it's about. Why the hell did you write it? Well, the reason I wrote it is because I, um, my, my wife, my darling wife, Catherine, was um, very keen to get Taylor Swift tickets. And obviously we've been talking about this. The, the tickets went on sale yesterday, in, in the, the pre-sale at least. And um, I, I, my sense from talking to Lots of different people in lots of different positions from CEO offices down is that everybody is talking about Taylor Swift. Now, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but lots of people out there are, and the clamouring for tickets was really interesting. So I started to look at sort of what's happened in the US with her tour, and what happens is she creates these little pockets of localised inflation when she goes to a city the hotel prices double. People come in and they spend lots of money on on food and drink and clothes and all sorts of stuff, travel and transport and all that sort of thing. And all the uh, and all the businesses gouge the hell out of them. With, well, uh, it whack up their prices. They do, they do, and their <laughs> occupancy. You know, it's a supply and demand thing. So, oh. um, so the question was, would this happen in Australia? And I turned to Shane Oliver. Uh, at AMP Capital, who is a fellow Taylor Swift fan. And he's a Taylor Swift fan. He's a Taylor Swift fan. He's a man of eclectic taste, is our Shane. And he said, I, I, get what you, I get where this is coming from and it might show up in the monthly data because these are big events in Melbourne and Sydney, but it won't show up in the quarterly inflation data. And anyway, by next February, the economy will be in a hole and we'll all need a bit of Taylor Swift spending to help us along. We all need Taylor Swift anyway, don't we? <laughs> exactly. Mean. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so it was, it was interesting. And, I mean, it's been quite the cultural phenomenon this week to see how many people have been clamouring for these tickets. Well, my daughter, really interesting. My daughter-in-law was desperate to get a ticket yesterday and failed to get oh, one. So, so she did, was terribly so, so deflated. They're in good company. Yes, well, a new show has been announced this morning in Melbourne. Another show. Another show. So maybe our everyone's... Wishes are going to be... Um, oh, she's a trooper, isn't she, Taylor Swift? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's a free show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, it's something, a bit of a change of pace and hopefully uh, the readers of the Fin Review haven't, haven't thought I've completely gone off the deep end. But you had an interesting take on inflation. Um, you're getting much more relaxed about it. Well, so I got you know we got the infl- monthly inflation data yesterday. Um, now, the the monthly data needs to be taken slightly with a pinch of salt because they only they only look at about three quarters of the categories that uh, they do each quarter. Yep. Um, and uh, so anyway, but but the monthly there it is um, comes out five point six percent is the announcement. Yep. The headline. Uh, the headline. Um, 
And everyone goes, oh, that's good. It's come down from 6.8% in April. Yep. Um, my problem with that is that it's, that's um, from last May to this May, right? Yes. And the number, the previous number was from April to last April to this April. Yep. And that just has as much to do with what happened last year as this year. I mean, it's not it's not recent, right? It's it's you know if 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 last May was a bit of a aberration, mm-hmm. it completely distorts the figure you, ca- you you get here. So it's not really it's as much historical as it is current. So I thought, well, yeah. let's have a look what's actually going on. You have to da- in order to do that, you have to download the spreadsheet yep. from the ABS. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Um, it's there, but you know, it's 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 in tiny writing. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> there's tons of columns. It's terrible, but anyway, the the columns that matter are, are um, you know all items. They have all the uh, all the categories listed, right? You can actually look at the the changes in each each uh, category of price. But if you look at the all items, um, and so so I kind of looked at okay, well, what what happened between April this year and May this year? Yes, uh, and the answer is uh, the price change. Between April and May was zero, mm. right? Happy days. Well, yeah, and and then and that's seasonally adjusted, right? So the and the seasonal adjustment is um, a valid thing to do. That's what the ABS does in order to iron out, uh, obviously, seasonal uh, impacts. So they're trying to inform economists and the RBA and everybody, you know, about what's really going on. If you if you take away. Christmas and Easter and yeah, all yeah, those yeah, seasonal yeah. things, yeah. and fair enough. But the, that five point six number is seasonal, seasonally adjusted. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, what happens to the original number between April and May this year? The original number of prices, that is to say, average prices that we actually paid, yep. uh, went down 04 percent. Yeah, okay. So the prices we paid on average fell by point four percent between April and May. Well. You know, crikey, that's amazing. Mm. Um, that is not uh, um, what you're hearing. Uh, uh, the thing is that, um, you know, uh, most people think uh, mo- the, the story is that prices are going up and cost of living pressures are worsening. Yes. Um, my, my answer to that is the people who – it depends what you buy, right? So yeah. everyone's buying different things. You know, some, some prices are going up, some prices are going down. On average, they went down. Um so uh, the people whose prices fell aren't saying anything, but the people whose prices went up are complaining. So it's, yep. you know, so what you hear is the cost of living cost of living is worsening. Anyway, w- one month is kind of uh, too narrow a short time to really take too much notice of. I get that. Yep. And these. So I thought, well, okay, well, let's have a look at what's happened for this year rather than over twelve months, which. If you think about it, twelve months is just the time it takes the Earth to go around the sun. Yes. So it's not it's not a particularly uh, uh, relevant economic time frame. Yes. You can pick any time frame. You know, um, you can pick any time frame. Is what I'm saying. Twelve months is kind of a bit random. I disagree with you, but I'll come back to why in a sec. Okay. So anyway, I thought, well, what's happened this year from January to May this year? And so I looked at the average yep. monthly price change from January to May, and it's 0.24% per month on average. There's ups and downs. Yep. Um, you multiply 0.24 by 12 yes. to get an annualised, to get, to get what that five months would be if it kept going for the full 12 months, answer 2.8%. 
In the band. So within in the, the band. band. So so I'm saying that headline inflation this year is under three percent. Yep. Um, well, well, it is. Yeah, it is. Yep. It, it yep. clearly is. Yep. Right. So then the question is, well, do we look at headline or core? Yes. And core is where they take out volatile items. Fruit and vegetables and petrol? Yeah, they don't say what they are, but we think that they're fruit and veggies and petrol. Well, they do in, mean, the, in the monthly figures. I mean, I don't know about you, James, but I'm buying petrol. Yes. And I'm buying <laughs> fruit and veggies. Absolutely, yep. So the concept of core inflation is irrelevant to us. It's only relevant to pointy-headed economists. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, but I'm not saying it's not it's, – it's irrelevant – you know, it's, yeah. it's it's relevant. Core inflation is a relevant idea, and it's kind of um, something the RBA keeps an eye on because it wants to know uh, if you t- if you take away the things that are going up and down too much, you know what's going on. Yes, fair enough. So at the conclusion of this, I think I saw this on Twitter. You think the RBA's gone too far already? And definitely uh, shouldn't be r- r- raising rates any further. I think it definitely shouldn't raise rates any further. Absolutely. Um, probably the one in June was unnecessary. But, you know, the trouble is with monetary policy, we don't know for ages. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and everyone kind of goes, oh, inflation is 5.6%, therefore they have to put up interest rates. Or, or inflation is 6.4%, which is the core, inf- uh, got to put it up. That was inflation up to May. Yeah. It's now June. Yeah. And monetary policy acts next year, right? The, the le- uh, monetary policy has a lag yes. of, a, of 12 months, right? So what they, what they did in June, you know, earlier in June, um, uh, has nothing to do with what happened in May. Yes. Or uh, in the year to May. It has to do with what's going to happen next year, right? So I'm saying, look, the trend of inflation is clearly down. Yeah. yeah. It's clearly coming down. Yeah. So what's the problem? Come on. Well, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think I'm not so sure on your 12 month thing, and the reason is because I think that's how wages are set. Most people have one conversation per year about wages. So if you've gone through the prior year and your energy bill is up 20%, 25%, 30%, 40%, your mortgage or your rent is up somewhere between 10 and 25%, you are asking, those are the two main costs in someone's life. Insurance would be another one you are asking, how do I keep up with this? And you're probably asking that once a year in a pay, you know, the, the, the minimum wage is set once a year. So I think the annual data does have some yeah, import. Yeah, of course. No, okay. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not saying we should, you know, move to seven months. Yeah. The, doesn't this come – I think you're right. Inflation is clearly coming down. The question is, does it come down far enough? That, that's the question now, isn't it? Well, we don't know. And, and – you can't. You can't no, say. Of course, we don't. You can't, know. you can't look at the numbers up to May and say it hasn't because. But isn't this the problem for the RBA? It, it it doesn't know if it's done enough. No, that's right. This, which is why they should stop, and have a look. And what what, it, what if it turns out they haven't done enough and and inflation expectations rise? Oh, shock horror! I mean, this will is, be okay. It'll be all right. Christ, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not going to be the end of the world if inflation, um, you know, is is a bit high for twelve months. Crikey, come on, I mean. Yeah, what's more what's more important? One hundred thousand people in in work or prices going up five percent? I mean, it's it's a question of your priorities, I reckon. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I I guess I mean, you know, I don't want to talk for Phil Lowe, but his point would be, if prices, if we accept a world where prices are going up 
5%, that will spiral into something that the RBA has to take rates much higher and kill a lot more jobs to, to get back under control. So you can have your 100,000 jobs saved this year, but you might end up having to have a million jobs down the track. I mean, that, that like is that, indeed what Phil Lowe would say, and, and the economists who are egging him to do two more rate hikes uh, would say you're better off doing overkill now yeah. um, than not enough. That's, yeah. that's, well, that's what, what history would, says, isn't it? That's what they would definitely say. I'm not sure that history does say that, but anyway... <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, look, my, my, what I think would be great yep. is if the uh, cash rate was 4.1% in two years' time. Right. And hasn't changed. Yeah, okay. That the 4.1% is correct. Yep. And it could be. I'm not saying it's not. And that um, they don't have to do anything for two years. Yep. That'd and be great. And let things adjust over a longer period of time. Well, let some stability happen, you know. I mean, all this stuff, oh, we need to start cutting rates. No, no, no. Let's just leave it. Let's yeah, just okay. stick with where they are. If, if, if rates are being cut at the end of this year or next year, it's because there's a recession. Yep. And that's bad. So I don't want that. No. no. And I don't think they need to put up any rates anymore. So what I reckon is let's, let's just do nothing for yep. two years. So next Tuesday, is it a pause? It should be. I don't know if it will be. I mean, I have no idea, really, what, what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, I spoke to UBS's economist, George Therano, yesterday, and he, I thought he had a good argument that in June they got surprised by the minimum wage decision and that sort of shocked them. Uh, there's nothing in the inflation data, to your point yesterday, that's going to shock them, so there's no need to hike. Better to wait to September till they've seen the uh, to August till they've seen the quarterly CPI done. Well said, George. Well said, George. He's got eleven of the last rate calls right. Has he eleven in a row? Good for him. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. In fact, he'd probably be the only one who has. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> and interestingly, he says he's done that because he's he's kept monitoring the way the RBA keeps flip flopping between protecting jobs and cutting inflation. He right. says it's happening month to month, even within a month. Right. So there's a central bank communication well, I, for you. I obviously <laughs> need to talk to George yeah, more often. He's an interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, what else do we need to talk about? Uh, Russia? What's going on? Do you know? No, no idea. But it was, geez, it was fascinating to watch. And there completely no impact on markets. No. No impact whatsoever. The only thing, the volatility index has gone up a little bit. It had gone to sort of close to historic lows. It's gone up a little bit, probably should go up a little bit. Um, yeah. But it's amazing how quickly this thing, you know, I don't know about you, but I was sitting there on Saturday night thinking, we're going to be writing columns about this, <laughs> pretending we know something about Russia I for know. weeks. And then by Sunday morning, it was all done. Well, it, 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 what I found amusing is, you know, that all this stuff was pouring out of the US, uh, people writing that uh, this is the end of Putin. Yeah. Putin's about to fall. Yeah. Um, in fact, that, that isn't what happened at no, all. No, it isn't what happened. In a, uh, they're, they're still saying it, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Can't see it. Can't see it. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, can, can I just make one other point, Alan? I, I, like, just as – on the energy transition, there's a lot of stuff. I reckon the last two or three weeks, probably since we've seen each other, a lot of stuff about how difficult the practicalities of this transition are going to be. Mike 
Henry from BHP was out there saying we need to spend $100 billion a year, US, in the mining sector just to produce the stuff we're going to need. Uh, the Australian- 100 billion energy, more. 100 billion invested each year. To, to, to uh, on, um, on zero carbon- No, no, to produce the minerals we're going to need. We need twice as much nickel, four times as much nickel, oh, I see. twice as much iron, oh, I see. steel. Uh, IEMO, the Australian Energy Market Operator, basically saying investment in renewables are stalled because the transmission build-out has stalled. Yeah. Uh, the, it, it's, you know, I guess this is the natural part. We had this argument for far too long about, is this energy transition real? We finally got legislated agreement on that. And I just think in the last few weeks, it's like, wake up, this is really not going well. The practicalities of this, the money you need, the skills you need, the materials you need, we're, we're nowhere near it. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't mean to be negative. It's just something that struck me over the last few weeks that this is really the no, I think the worrying. I think story. that's right. And and the from what I've seen, the um, global temperature has already spiked above one point five degrees. Yeah. Above pre-industrial, which is the Paris target. So we're already there at the Paris target, and we've got an El Nino this year. Mm coming mm. it's going to be stinking hot really yeah no fun so i'm uh, i'm really worried about this year i've you know i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of fires yeah I, I guess a couple of wet years will help with that maybe it's the year after that's i don't know i i, I don't know i just think the the well, realities Com of the transition are here greg combo's got the new job of uh chairman of the zero net zero authority yeah and his job is to help all those companies that have to get to uh, to, to reduce their uh, the, the companies in the um, the safeguard mechanism reduce yeah. their yeah. reduce their uh, emissions and they're all nowhere near it either. No, I mean they're they're all waiting for te technological changes that I don't may know or may not happen. May or may not happen. Yeah. Yeah. Should we go to questions? Let's go to questions. Sorry, dude. Put that bummer no, in. No, it's I just something I've been thinking about. And I think it's I think worth it's pointing worth out. Pointing out. Um, uh, Gordon says, just wondering if the RBA keeps raising rates even after the Fed has paused, won't that risk putting upward pressure on the Aussie dollar and in turn feed more inflation via higher import costs? Maybe another argument in favour of the RBA pausing. Well, if if the dollar goes up, that leads to lower import costs. Yeah. Um, uh, but it does. It's not great that the Aussie dollar goes up. It just won't lead to inflation, but it will lead to, um, you know, problems for Australian exporters yeah. because they'll be they'll be less competitive. It could happen though, Gordon. I mean, where their, their rates are at five point two five, we're at four point one. We're low against the sort of our similar economies like New Zealand and Canada. We're still lower compared to those, and there are some economists who think that will play into what the RBA is thinking. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want the dollar to crash and start importing inflation. That would not be. No, that's, that would not. That be would happy. happen if the dollar fell rather than went up. Yeah, of exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jenny says, "I've seen your piece on the ABC saying that because housing commitments are outstripping the number of new households, prices should come down. This doesn't follow at all, since investors are buying a proportion of all new houses, particularly in popular areas. These are becoming holiday homes and short-stay accommodation, or even standing empty." Waiting capital gains. Have a look at the UK housing market over the last few decades. I think that's a comment rather than a question, Alan, but uh, would you like well, to address it? Well, treat it as a question. Um, look, I, I, I did this piece on um, saying where, where I looked at housing commencements and approvals and uh, compared that with 
um, the housing requirement from immigration and found that there's enough commencements right. and approvals. Okay. So there is no shortage. Right. Uh, either now or coming up, um, oh. which Your Honour, of course, saw me on Sunday night. No, I didn't. Doing this. No, no. No, anyway. So I apologise. Because everyone's been carrying on about how immigration is going to mean that there's a, a dire housing shortage. Yeah. Um, and there isn't. Even with 450,000 immigrants this year? Yeah, well, the thing is that it's 2.48 people per house. Right. So you don't need a house per... You don't need a house per immigrant. What about Jenny's point that not all the well, stock flows to uh, uh, residents? Well, I don't know. Yeah, of course. Who knows? I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, uh, high-level numbers, and the number of houses will be enough for the number of immigrants we're getting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether they have to go and uh, live in their houses on Airbnb, I don't know. J- but, well, but I didn't say in that piece that that will mean that uh, prices come down because I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think – well, um, uh, the, other, the other thing that's been going on is that everyone's kind of uh, warning of a price crash because of the mortgage cliff and everyone coming off – Fixed rate mortgages later this year going on a variable rate and having to sell a house. Yeah. And that'll lead to a crash. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen either. No. Uh, so so there isn't going to be a surplus or a shortage of houses. I think that po- probably neither will happen and houses or prices will stay roughly where they are. They might come down to 5%. Yeah. Who knows? I don't yeah. know. But... Um, Geez, there's a lot of action to Jenny's point on Airbnbs around the country. And well, the thing about that is, I mean, it, it, I, I looked on recently looked on Airbnb looked looked at Airbnb and the number of long-term rentals on REA. Right, fifty-five thousand rentals in Australia available long-term lease. Yeah. On REA. Yeah. Versus three hundred thousand uh, short-term rentals available. Right. Yes. But the thing about the thing about that statistic, which is stunning if you think, you know, if you looked at it straight up. Mm. That 300,000 includes those that have got someone in them. Yeah, okay, yeah. And the 55,000 on REA are empty. Yeah. Right, so how many Airbnbs are empty? I don't know. Yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, there's a, look, uh, there's, there's a long and involved story about Airbnb and everyone says, oh, you know, they would do something about it. They should limit the number of Airbnbs you can have or yep. the length of time you can do it for and all this stuff. And, you know, I can see some logic to those. The problem with Airbnb is that the premium, the rental premium you get versus long-term lease is too high. Yeah, yeah. So You're encouraged uh, to do it. Yeah. yeah. The, the difference in rent between what you get putting in an REA for a year's lease is... I think it's it's less than half, or it's about a third of what you can get on Airbnb. And I, I went into this. I looked at a number of properties in a in a particular suburb. Yeah. And what the difference in rent was? It's enormous. Right. It's too big. Is this all going to be in your housing uh, quarterly essay? Uh, yep. Great. Okay. Looking forward to that. Ben, understanding stock stock price forecasts are largely. To the upside, most of the time over optimistic. Done. Oh Christ! Uh, he's saying that most of the forecasts uh, of about share prices and earnings are done by fund managers and analysts who invest in the forecasted stocks. So 
why aren't there other entities giving lowball stock price forecasts? That's true, isn't it? I mean, most of the most of the stuff you get about companies is from buy side stock analysts who want you to buy them. Yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, but surely the good thing about that, Ben, is you don't have to. So you can look at these companies that you think are overvalued and not buy them and go and buy the undervalued ones. Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ben's calling, why aren't there other entities giving lowball stock price forecasts? I mean, uh, people sort of see analysts, I think, and, and journalists are prone to do this. They, they see analysts as some sort of majestical, mythical Svengali who know it, creatures who know everything. Like, they're just guys with good models, you know? Don't, yeah. don't take it too seriously, you know? No, but most of the analysts just take the... Uh, guidance from the company and go okay that'll do yeah sure i mean i i think <laughs> uh, I, I, I think you don't want to take these you, you got to, this is where you got to do your own research if you don't believe if you start with that idea that yes their estimates are going to be overdone then you get to look at it and say okay how do i discount that where can i find some value so this is a good thing about markets they are a good exchange of opinions Jack says, you previously mentioned that in America, interest rates aren't felt as much by borrowers because of the high percentage of people on 30-year fixed-rate loans. What would it take for Australian banks to be incentivised to offer something similar? This seems like a no-brainer. This is a very interesting question. It's an and, interesting question. And, um, so the answer is that uh, the, the reason we don't have 30-year fixed-rate loans yeah. is because uh, in the Great Depression... When the, when the Great Depression happened in 1931, mm-hmm. uh, yep. uh, we had a Labor government and America had a Republican government. Right. And so uh, naturally when the Great Depression hit, uh, whoever was in government got chucked out. Right, yeah. Okay? Yep. Naturally. And so we then got a Liberal government. It was actually Joe Lyons yep. uh, who was elected with a landslide in 1931 as head of the United Australia Party, yes. which was Menz, Robert Menzies' first party before he formed the Liberal Party. Yeah. So the United Australia Party was conservative. Right. Um, and Joe Lyons was Prime Minister. Uh, the person elected in the US at the same time was FDR, Franklin Delano yes. Roosevelt, yep. who was a Democrat. Yes. And so in the, in the aftermath of the Great Depression, we had a conservative government, the Americans had a um, progressive government. Yep. And FDR introduced the, third, the New Deal, right? And part of it was these lines. And 1938, he created something called Fannie Mae. Yes, okay. Which is the, the Federal Mortgage Insurance uh, Association. I can't remember. Anyway, it's Fannie Mae. And, it's, and Fannie Mae's job, and it still exists, Fannie Mae, mm. Fannie Mae's job was to buy 30-year fixed-rate mortgages from the banks and parcel them up and sell them as mortgage-backed securities. Right. And so Fannie Mae's job was to provide the banks with liquidity that would enable them... To offer these Specifically loans. enable them to offer 30-year fixed-rate loans... Wow. Uh, ...after the Great Depression, which, you know, the pro- uh, Roosevelt actually saw the part of the problem. Yeah. And so uh, Joe Lyons didn't do that, right? And then... Um, by the time he got chucked out, uh, which was not until, well, he, uh, anyway, uh, uh, Curtin wasn't elected until 1941. Right. I think Lyons, Lyons died, that's right, Lyons died oh, on the office. job. right. In office. He was driving to Canberra 
and had a heart attack at the wheel oh. and <laughs> drove off the road. So that was the end of him. Um, and we never got a Freddie, Fannie Mae. And we didn't get a Fannie Mae. So by the time John Curtin took over in 1941, it was too late and the war was underway yeah. and it was all... But he did create... Curtin did create the Commonwealth Housing Commission in 1943. Right. Uh, but it, it wasn't about, you know, what the banks were doing. The Housing Commission was really about creating public housing. Yeah. Which it, it did do and, and it was, you know, it did a good job. Um the Housing Commission, but it was uh, all too late and really – they and, but they've, they've still got the fa- – they've still got Fannie Mae. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, they're still doing that. I mean, uh, that partly led to the uh, the GFC. GFC yes. Because this uh, this idea that Fannie Mae was doing it, and but everyone else started doing it. Investments to banks started buying up mortgages and parceling them up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that uh, that was the problem. I mean, Fannie Mae was, is a, is, was and still is a government-sponsored enterprise. Yeah. And so it didn't go berserk um, in the in two thousand and seven, eight, but the investment everyone banks, else did. Everyone else down did. the valuations of its holdings. Yeah, yeah, and it needed to be bailed out. It had to be bailed out. That's yeah. right. So, and in fact, it was taken over by the government in uh, two thousand September two thousand and eight. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, we need to move along. So, is is it too late? Too late for us to go to thirty-year fixed loans. Well, we need to find some way of providing the banks with liquidity because they need to. The reason they have to have variable rates and only you know fixed fixed rates up fixed mortgages up to five years is because they just can't lock themselves in for thirty years unless they've got some way of getting out of them. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're sort of stuck. There would need to be the government would need to create a Fannie Mae, yeah. something that would buy the mortgages off them. Yeah. And. Uh, Give the banks liquidity uh, as they need it because it actually. I mean, if, you, if you're lending for thirty years, you're not turning things over. You can't then create more mortgages. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 by, by by having variable rates and people, and the, I think the, the the average term of a mortgage in Australia is about three to four years. By the time everyone buy, you know, changes their house and that's right, all this stuff. Yeah. So. Um, so we're already thirty plus minutes. We Look, need to do one more question. One more question. I'm going to I'm going to finish it off. Ben says everyone seems to assume that before too long interest rates will be falling again. However, could we actually be approaching something of a neutral interest rate that will hold steady for longer than we think? Alan, I think you endorsed this idea earlier in the show. <laughs> <laughs> the question, the, the the term neutral interest rate, Ben, is is actually a a a, a technical term yeah. they use. The the neutral interest rate. Is the interest rate at which is that, that is neither stimulatory nor contractionary? Yep. Um, but no one knows what it is. It's 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 a sort of a it's a it's a mystical concept yeah. that everyone realizes exists that that is there is such a thing, but they don't know what it is. Um, I, I think you know. I hope it's four point one percent. You know. Yeah. Uh, I think to Ben's point, it could be higher than we've thought it to be in the past if inflation's settling higher than it has for the last 20 years. I mean, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It has it, to make it, sense. It, yeah, probably. That's yeah. right. But it's – well, it's – yeah, except that it's, it's actually lower now. It's taken a long-term – long-term yes, view. Yes, sure. The, the neutral interest rate has clearly come down. Yes. And the reason it's come down is because there are big disinflationary forces going on. That have been going on for uh, about a decade or so. Um, yeah. uh, technology, demographics, yeah. the aging of the population, uh, globalisation, 
these are all disinflationary forces yep. that are reducing the neutral interest rates. Yes. And so, to some extent, that's why central banks really aren't uh, floundering a bit. They don't quite know what to do about this stuff. They're, they're kind of, um, yeah, they're, they're, feeling, they're feeling their way in the dark, really, hmm. trying to find out where the interest rate ought to be, uh, and they don't know. Yep. That's a really good point to remember, Alan, like, we look to the we look to central banks as if they're all seeing and all knowing, but they're like us. They're feeling around in the dark, trying to get the trying to read the data and figure out exactly what's happening. And it's not easy. Yeah, and, and in my view, the most dangerous central banker is the one that doesn't know that they don't know. Yeah, that's right. Well said. <laughs> well said. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening today. Um, it's uh, it's been great as always. It's good to talk to James. Um, if you've got a question for next week, please send it to the Money Cafe at EurekaReport.com.au, and keep them short, please and sharp. We'll uh, we're inundated with questions, so we can't always answer all of them, and um, we much prefer short ones. So uh, until next week, I'm Alan Cole, founder of Eureka Report, and I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. See you soon. <laughs>